Welcome to the Score and I podcast, where we bring you the best Irish league discussion each week. To find out about future shows, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the Score NI. Now it's time for this week's programme. Michael Hughes is in the studio with us now. 71 caps for Northern Ireland, and uh, what a servant he was for club and country. And uh, Michael, it's a pleasure to have you in with us. Hi, Michael. Thanks for inviting me in. It's great nice to, to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Um, let's start with Northern Ireland, shall we? Because uh, a great win for them last night at Windsor Park. That's how you want to get a campaign going, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was I was at the game. Uh, you know, three points was that, that's the requirement. Last night didn't really matter if it was a good performance or a bad performance. You know, it was just get the three points on the board, get off to a good start, and get yourself up the table, so to speak. You know, it's always nice psychologically when you look at the table, even at this early stage, to be towards the top. So. I think it was a big, big win for the guys last night. What's your take on this uh, this squad under Michael O'Neill? Because I think it's fair to say that they've really raised expectations. Mm. Yeah, uh, they have, and to be you know, there was some some cracking young players coming through. I, mean, I was very impressed with Jamal Lewis last night. I thought he was excellent. He probably you know even maybe Northern Ireland's best player in an attacking sense uh, for a fullback. He was up and down all night. Uh, I thought Savile was excellent. Very strong in the middle of the park, you know. He's very athletic boy. Gets around. He's another one for, uh, for the future. So, <clears throat> you know, there's a couple of real, real good young ones coming through. Jones again was, you know, was was decent. You can tell these boys have got got a future. So there's plenty, of, you know, plenty of young kids there who who are strong, who are athletic, who are getting around the pitch and and they, uh, and they can play and they play with no fear as well. Which uh, you know, I think is a big thing if you're playing football. You have to you have to play with no fear because there, there was pressure last night. You know, there's no doubt about it. There was pressure on the lads to win last night. You know, and and everyone's saying, okay, well, it was Estonia and, and whatnot, but it doesn't matter. You know, there, there's no pushovers, and you have to win these games. And I, I thought Estonia weren't bad. They were better than I thought they were going to be. Yeah. And even Belarus Sunday will will be decent. So you know, you have to go out and you have to win these games. Uh, and it, it's just moments, really. You know, I mean, uh, Mr. Header, I think Paddy, Paddy McNair, Mr. Header, we didn't miss a header. You know, he got into a good position and he. he, he probably just misjudged it slightly and headed it down and over the bar but they get into the game a wee bit after that uh, and even at 1-0 they had a chance to equalise a really good chance to equalise and the keeper made a great save I thought the keeper played well last night too I have to say I thought he was very composed did well but it's those moments that change, could have changed the game and, and gone the other way but Northern Ireland is 4-5 or five really good chances so it could have been 4 at the end if, if we'd have taken all our chances we were trying to think between ourselves and so far we haven't come up with a time when Northern Ireland have a run of four games where they're the favourites, four matches in a row as as they find themselves in this group. Mm. Um, it, it's a very different proposition, isn't it, when you're coming into a game as a favourite? You know, when you're an underdog, you kind of go, well, the pressure's off us, we just need to perform and hope for the best. Yeah. As, as a, as a favourite, it changes slightly. You, you maybe sometimes try things you don't need to. Well, uh, you, you could tell last night there was certainly a, a change in the tactics that we were adopting now. Michael was fairly studious. I think we all know that by now, but he obviously spotted something in there, the way they set up and the way they play. I mean, the two centre-backs, uh, Evans and Cathcart, who were, you know, again, excellent on the night. They, they, were, they were visibly trying to hit this 60-yard diagonal rake and pass out wide to the to the wide players and even the full backs and our wide players were really keeping their width last night you know you, you really keeping our width and we were trying to get the ball out to them and get 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 crosses in the box but yeah it's it's it can add a bit of pressure being expected to win but you know you know what I think the way that you'd rather have it that way I think because you wouldn't want to be playing Germany and Holland and you know I I, I don't think they're they're great by any stretch of the imagination, especially Germany. They're still top, top sides, but they're not the side they were. But you'd rather not be playing them first. You'd rather be getting the opportunity to get points on the board and playing the teams that we're playing. So I think Michael would probably rather have it that way around. I'm interested in the you know the, the pressure that people talk about. You know, when you, you pull on the green jersey representing your country, it's a massive thing. Um, when you had that opportunity in 71 times it's not bad is it at all mm. um, to, to pull on that jersey what, what is that moment like Cause let's, most of us mere mortals Michael will never experience it once it was, it's, it was incredible actually you know and it happened so quickly for me because I'd literally just got in the Man City team 
and uh, arrived at training one one morning. It was Ian Brightwell was first to come up to me, and he put his hand out to shake my hand, and I thought, what's he what's he doing here? Why does he shake my hand? He <laughs> says, congratulations. I didn't even know. He says, oh, you're in the Northern Ireland squad. I was like, am I? Wow. This was I think it was a Monday morning. So <clears throat> that just felt, you know, wonderful because I'd only get into the city. I played for Man City when I was seventeen. And then I didn't play again for them for about 18, 18 months. I think it was about 19 when I got back in again. So it was like, really, this is happening so fast? Because I think I only had three games for City at the time. And it was like, fantastic. You know, the first thought was, I was a wee bit nervous. Because you're thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be going to meeting Maldonaghy. And, <laughs> you know, and people like that, you know. so you, And that was, funny enough for me, that was a wee bit, oh no, that was a wee bit of a nerve wracker. Thinking, you know, I'm going to meet these guys. and uh, But once, once you... You get in and you meet everybody. It's just you just settle very quickly, you, you know. And uh, we played. Funny enough, my debut I think was Denmark away. And the one memory I have from that was just the the atmosphere. You know, it was fifty thousand Danes, and and it was a different roar to the roar I was used to at Main Road. Even though we were getting thirty five, whatever forty thousand, and it was just the, the whole ground was shaking. And I remember the hairs in the back of my neck standing up. Even though it was away game today, people like the two loud drops were. <laughs> We're playing back what then, players? so ah, listen, you just couldn't get the ball off them guys. It was almost it was just you know that that was a real step up to what I was used to playing, even though I was playing in the, the the Premier League as it is now with Man City. But that was a step up playing against the Danes. It was a real learning experience, a real eye opener. But I loved every single second of that match and couldn't wait to get back playing for more for Northern Ireland. At that point, that was a way I was thinking I can't wait to play at Windsor Park for Northern yeah. Ireland. So. You know, really give me a real passion and a real desire and a real love for it. What was your advice? You know, when you were going into that match, I mean, does does anybody pull you aside because you because you're so young? Does anybody say, "No, look, this is what we need from you"? Or is it just kind of you're in the squad, so you're good enough? Go on. I think it was more a case of the second one. You know, I think the life of a professional footballer is it's it's almost you could call it selfish or whatever you want, but the fact is you have to focus on yourself and what you're doing, and you have to make sure that you're performances are tip top and you're you're turning up in tip top shape and and ready to go so the focus is more on yourself i think at that point when you think well i'm i'm good to go here i'm ready to go i think at that point you can you know you can say to the other fellas are you okay do you need any help or something but being the young lad obviously the experienced boys you know like mal who have mentioned and and uh you know, jimmy quinn and people like that and colin clark you know you know those kind of guys you know they they always had a a word it was usually a bit of a a wind up word or something like that. I used to, you know, have a bit a bit of a, a, a joke with you, yeah. really, or call you a wee funny name and everybody would laugh and it kinda, you know, it would sort of you know Breaks relax that tension, the atmosphere yeah. a wee bit, you know. So that's the way we kinda got on. Uh but but yeah, everybody was great. I mean Billy Bingham, uh really Billy was just he gave you the responsibility. As soon as you got into the squad, you know, you were there on merit. But you were also there as part of the group and on your own. You know, he didn't tell you what to do. You know, he didn't say, I want, you, I want you to do this. Or he never, ever said to me, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. He always just told me, go out and do what you're capable of doing. Go out and express yourself. Go out and play. And I, I trust you. And it, 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 even even then you felt a sense of trust. You know, some other managers would maybe come and try and guide you through your whole game from start to finish. Or I want you to do this in the first minute. And then in the 87th minute, you, I want you to do this. And you're kind of thinking, well, it's not going to pan out like that, you know. So he was good, really good that way. Billy, really, really enjoyed working with him. And I believe he was quite the man for team talks. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, that, I mean, when you when you got you got the handshake and, and the, before the, you know, you do your training on Tuesday, I think it was Wednesday morning, actually. Wednesday was usually the morning of the, the match. And the way Billy's way of telling you you were playing was he would shake your hand congratulations you're you're in the team tonight you know so you knew if you weren't getting the handshake that you weren't playing so you were kind of running past Billy the odd time hoping he'd stick his hand out and say congratulations you're you're in the team but uh, you know everything was it, it never really changed to be honest with Billy you know he was very he was just very easy going you know I can't remember I can't remember I'm not that's not to say he didn't I'm just saying I can't remember him ever raising his voice ever See that's that's amazing when you think about how many managers and all the all the experiences and the, the high level intense games that he's been involved in throughout his career mm. and that, that he could be that calm person because mm. 
let's face it, most of us couldn't do that. Most of us couldn't be that chilled. No, but I don't know if that maybe comes from experience or or what. And Billy would he would give you life advice too. You know, he would talk to you about your your club situation, and he would talk to you about. Uh, Sometimes he would even talk to you about the business side of things. You know, if you were up for a transfer, or, you know, and he knew you were up for a transfer, he would pull you aside and he would say, "Now, you know, make sure you look after yourself." And this is what I used to do when I was moving clubs. He'd always give you a wee bit of life advice or business advice, or make sure that he said, "Make sure you're happy with, with what you're doing, and make sure you look after yourself and your family." Blah blah blah. And it was always that little human side of things. To that wasn't. You, you felt he really was looking out for your interests and you weren't just there to pull on the green shirt you know, for Northern Ireland, that was big enough on its own, but you, you also felt there was an, another another side to it. How, how many international games do you need to play before you finally sort of get used to the fact that you're a part of this great setup? Because I imagine the first few games you're just drinking it in and it's all a bit surreal and exciting. So the answer to that is one. Really? Yeah, for me. I felt part of it as soon as I got there. And that's the way I think we all felt. I think the way you, you think is, am I good enough to get in the team? I want to get in the team. And then when you're in it, you get your chance. It's, I want to keep my chance. Now, I, I had Kingsley. Now, it was me and Kingsley Black were was in the team at the time. And I was coming through and uh, playing left wing, and, and Kingsley was playing left wing. And so it was basically, when I came in, Billy put me in front of Kingsley and, you know, Kingsley was was brilliant, you know. We sometimes as you're you're playing in front of the, uh, somebody else, they might not talk to you too much, or they might you can feel a, maybe a bit of resentment or or whatever the case may be. But I never, I never felt that from Kingsley, and I think that was just the way it was back then for the Northern Ireland team. It wasn't. I think it's different at club level because you're getting paid. You know, Northern Ireland back then we weren't getting paid to really play, you know, and you, you didn't really care anyway. You didn't want the money. You weren't turning up to play for your country for money. For financial gain, you. But so it was more of a, I find it more of a camaraderie, around around the place. But from day one, I felt part of it, and I was young. I was nineteen at the time, and like I say, the like the boys last night. There's no fear. You're you're just you're just looking that way. You just want to go forward. You want to be positive, and you want to do your best. You know. You know, in many ways, you're the perfect man to talk about. Northern Ireland side through how to face the Germans because you've scored against them more than once. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Not bad going. <laughs> no, and the sec the first goal was probably probably my best moment in football. But Germany away. Uh, I could talk you through that goal from start to finish. I probably could talk you through the ten minutes before that goal even happened. But that was probably that was the best moment I would say. I'm Certainly my international career, if not my whole career, the feeling. Well, the goal at Winter Park probably was on a par with that because I was at home and I'll never forget the, 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 the supporters behind the, the goal at that point. But those are moments I'll never, ever, ever forget. Moment, I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll cherish my whole life. And it's funny now because, you know, my youngsters, they, they don't, they wouldn't give, don't, don't care, you know. Like, you, did you, just the, did you see the goal I scored against Germany? And they're like, "No, we're playing Xbox here, you know. And you're not even involved. You're not even on there. We can't even have you in our team. Don't even, you know." And it's, it's it, it it becomes something that it's just a personal it becomes a personal kind of pride. Is the wrong word, but just a personal satisfaction that you look back and it gives you a sense of pride and you know because nobody else really remembers it apart from. Yourself and, and guys like you guys who would have followed you know, football and be students of the game, if you like, but nobody else remembers it nor cares. It's in the past, but for me, it feels like yesterday. You mentioned there about the, the two goals against Germany. There was also one against Port, uh, Portugal away, mm. free kick. Uh, I actually watched on YouTube just yet, there yesterday. Mm. You fairly struck that one. I did. I hit that one well. No, I, I don't. I shouldn't say this, but it clipped somebody on the I ball did. and took a slight deflection. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I used to say it bent. I bent it round the ball. It only looked like a, a deflection, but no, it hit somebody on the wall. It was what was the big centre back's name called? A big guy with a hair. Could over. Could over. Somebody played for Portugal. See the one brought you round. Ah, he was the one that made the tackle. Like, and he was about six foot six, and then he was tackling <laughs> me at five foot six. It was like you know, it was. Timber. It wasn't difficult to dive for the foul, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, that, I mean, it is, of course, it must feel so special scoring those uh, in those moments, but aside as big as Germany as well, I mean, your international goals, to be able to say, scored against Portugal, scored a couple against Germany, Malta and Iceland, you know, but 
particularly the, the Germany and Portugal, uh, it's not bad in the old CV at any stage, is it? Because they've always been great teams. No, that's. I mean, it's like I say, and, and you don't really expe- expect to score against them anyway, you know. And that's that's the truth. You're going to you're playing the Germans. You know, you're you're going to have your backs to the wall most most of the game. So, but you know, you 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 have to say that. It's funny how the goal scorers kind of get the plaudits, you know. It's always the the way, and I'm talking to the youngsters nowadays, especially the strikers and the forward players. They're they're in a they're in a they're in a privileged position. They don't realise it that they can have 89 minutes of an absolute shocker of a game, and then the last minute score a goal, and they're heroes. Everything else is forgotten about, whereas it's the opposite on the opposite side of the side of the coin. But I mean, Tommy Tommy Wright, you know, that night away, Germany away. I mean, he was exceptional. He made seven or eight fantastic saves you know I'm not too sure many I think not many people talk about that but a game could have been seven seven one as it turned out I think it was one each yeah one mm. each yeah in you Bremen know? so yeah, you know the goal scorers always get the plaudits but it's always 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 a team kind of uh, affair they say those big moments go in slow motion do they really does 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 all time stand still around you or what's your recollection of that that first goal like I said I knew exactly, and this might sound a bit, I don't know how it'll sound, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, <laughs> I knew exactly what I was doing. From the minute I picked the ball up, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, you can talk about the snooker players thinking six moves ahead or whatever they do. But uh, as I ran onto the ball, I can't remember who played through it. Was it Jim? Jim and John? Maybe slipped the ball through, that, I think it was. But as he slipped it through... I'm already seeing the defender coming across, and I, it was on my right side, so I know I'm not going to hit it with my right side. He didn't know that. He didn't know that because it wasn't. They didn't have those kind of like they have nowadays. They have all the video stuff, and you know exactly who you're playing against, what their strengths are, what they're going to do, what foot to kick the ball with, what time to go to bed. You know, you know, you know everything about everybody nowadays. So he didn't know what was happening, but I could see him coming across, and I could tell by the way he was running, he was coming across too quick, thinking that I was going to take it on with my right. So he was thinking, well, I'll get across and get to him before he gets the shot in the right so I knew right, I'm going to fade the go right and I'm going to check back on the left I'm going to pretend to put it across the keeper and then pull it back into the near post and that's exactly what happened very rare that it comes off as you plan but that was the plan so that moment didn't stand still no I just I just think that I just think you do it so much sometimes that it just becomes second you do it without thinking you it's, know? it's almost like that's why they have training well that's exactly right Repetition, they call it repetition, 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 uh, and that's what it boils. That's all it boils down to, Michael. You know, and I've been telling, been trying to tell these young kids nowadays. Listen, nobody's stopping you apart being a footballer apart from yourself by sitting in your backside and playing Xbox or whatever it is you're doing. It's never been so easy in the history, our history, to be a top sportsman, because you can guarantee in my day, everybody was out playing football, and you know. Nowadays, none of them are out, apart from going to their local clubs and, you know, and the facilities have all improved, but the amount of time they're spending training has gone down, way down in my estimation, because they're not training on their own. It's almost like they need someone out there with them now to hold their hands. Who who got you out playing football then? Because I, I want to come on to a story in a wee bit about parents watching football, because we, we spoke about it one time before and I think it's brilliant, but mm. who... who who was it that kind of initially got you kicking a ball around and, and give you a wee bit of confidence to, to go on? Because once upon a time, you didn't know you could play football. Me? Me on my own. You know, that's what I say. I mean, no one else is going to do it for you. And just out in the street against the wall, or what was just it? Just out in the street. I, I think my first my, my first recollection of football was back in primary school. Now, I think, what age would we have been? Maybe five, four, five? I can't remember. What it, was. it must have been, say, five. And someone had a ball. No, I think it was a teacher. He threw a ball down, and and the forty kids run out of time. Well, that's what it was. <laughs> that's what it was. But my memory of that day was that it was only me that had the ball, and I was kicking it up the pitch and going and getting it and kicking it back the pitch. Now that's <laughs> not what probably what happened, yeah, but that yeah. was my memory of it. And I just instantly, I'd already been on the boat kicking a ball about like you do, but not really with other people. Yeah, it was probably the first time. And just it was like, oh, this is awesome, this is fantastic, I just want to do this all the time. And that's what happened, and I was out every day, six, seven hours, every day with my pals. If my pals weren't there, I was on my own. Like I said, there was nothing else to do. 
what else are you going to do? I said, it's, and there was no TV, really. You couldn't sit down and watch 20 channels like you do your whatever channels. Now, there was like three channels and they were all rubbish, so you didn't want to do that either. <laughs> you know, radio wasn't as good back then as it is now. <laughs> uh, thank you. I, I often think that as well. It's, I find it strange to hear you saying about sort of, you know, wanting to play for yourself whenever I was a young lad myself. Uh, in the house we lived in, we had a sort of a wall at the back of it. I wanted to be a goalkeeper back in my day. And basically what I would have done every day, I would have went out, whacked the ball as hard as I could off that wall for hours and end, and then dived in to save the sort of shot that has bounced back off it, to be honest. You know, but back in those days when I was a youngster, I thought nothing of going to the local playing grounds with myself and my mates, playing for maybe 10 hours. And we mm. thought, no, no, you went out, you played for about four or five hours, and at home had your dinner, and you went back at night and played another two or three hours. You know, But it, it, seems, it just seems to have changed I, so much now. It doesn't happen anymore. Mm. And then the same thing you did with kicking the ball against the wall and, and saving it, you know, that's exactly the same thing as what we did, only we yeah. control the ball with our feet. Yeah. But that's where you learn. You learn to move your way, you know, and you learn to do things your way, not his way or their way, because nobody can show you how to do that. Yeah. And this is where I think the game's kind of going a wee bit wrong now. You know, they're showing, they're trying to show youngsters how to do things. But that'll never work. You're, you're moving the instinct away from it. You are. You are. But, you know, you're between a rock and a hard place, because if, if they're not going to do it on their own, how do you get them to do it? Yeah. You know? See, it's interesting. When I was playing in my garden, I was also commentating on myself playing. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's all sort of self-fulfilling when you think about it. But I was uh, I was playing out, because my, my brother's four years younger than me, so when I was seven, you know, he's three, so he wasn't going to give me much of a game. So I was running around the garden pretending that it was both teams somehow yeah you know i was well. excusing myself for missing the shot you know because obviously brazil were just having a bad day against northern ireland and stuff <laughs> and find yourself find yourself seven goals down coming back <laughs> only at seven that's neighbor. right <laughs> when you're how many hat tricks did you score loads in the last minute there's another goal neighbor's going there's a fair crowd in that clark household there <laughs> i think he's on his own today actually oh brilliant um what i was going to say about parents that you you told a great story when we did an interview uh, in the past about uh, when you're playing games and your mum coming along mm. and you, you didn't need to turn your head around to know where your mum was watching you. No, she she was a, got very excited. <laughs> very excited. Was, she would shout and scream and bawl her. I'm not, not so much my dad. He would probably go and stand over the other side of the pitch, to be honest. <laughs> but you know, but she was she just got herself... Even at Northern Ireland matches, you know, the, she would be screaming and bawling and, you know, that level, it's, I don't know. My dad actually went and go, he used to go and sit over the RC. He got tickets to go and sit on the opposite side of the stadium. He wouldn't <laughs> sit beside my mum. And I remember because Mickey, Michael O'Neill and I went to the same same school, same St. Louis and Ballymena and played in the same team. And uh, we were playing one game. <laughs> and this boy tackled, he tackled me. It was a yeah, fair tackle. It's football, you know, you're going to get your hard tackles and whatever. So he tackled me, he got the ball, but he caught me in the ankle at the same time. And unfortunately for him, he was kind of beside my mum she was in the sideline she had it was raining she had this umbrella like this like kind of wrapped up umbrella and she goes Whoosh! hits my tap across the head and says don't you tackle my son I was like oh no and Mike Lundin's never let me forget that he's called her a football hooligan <laughs> to this day you know that's so class you need the support there's no doubt about it I enjoyed having the support you know you need it and I felt good having the support but you know there's there's levels of support yeah. you, you want. Michael's mum's brought her brolly again where, <laughs> can I play on the other side she's actually out there waiting for her to come in here <laughs> yeah, I haven't met her before so I'll say you said that Colin right, right you can take the head for me um, no but you do you do need that encouragement there's so many people that don't have that as well when they're coming through so uh, brilliant to hear but uh, we've all known that sound whether it's a, a mum or a dad or an uncle or whoever and just that voice you go oh <laughs> they're here today mm. and haven't helped anybody that got on the wrong side of you um, with that great support from your family was it hard at a young age to to basically pack your bags and, and move over to England obviously it's exciting and it's a big opportunity but we often talk about people from here being homebirds was it were you torn in any way yeah I struggled yeah no doubt about it I struggled for the first well the first two two and a half years to be perfectly honest with you uh now, there was Neil Lennon was with me at the time at, at Man City and Jerry Taggart, although Jerry was in different different digs. Uh, and we lived in a big house, you know, it was a big, big house in Stockport and it was maybe eight bedrooms, one of these big terraced houses. And there was a family of eight already living in it. And then there was me, Neil, 
and two other players at Man City, and we were all in the same room, and you know, it, it wasn't ideal. No, it really wasn't ideal, and I didn't settle at all. As a matter of fact, I didn't even un- I didn't unpack my suitcase for three months. You know, I just didn't. Yeah, I, I was. I don't know why. It was just one of those things. I just didn't. I was. I, I trained, but. I, and to be honest with you, I mean, I was pretty much straight into the first team, going over there at 16, 17. You know, they pushed me on quite quickly. And and I had one game and then didn't play again for a while. I, I, I don't think mentally I was ready, but also where I was staying, I wasn't happy. You know, I just wasn't happy where, where I was staying. And uh, don't get me wrong, they were nice people, but I just didn't, didn't settle. And when I got to 18, the, I had a word with the club and they moved me. They moved me into another little house with a little Irish woman and her husband, and they were great people. And it was just me and them. And you know, she was a typical what you would call an Irish woman. She, if you weren't five minutes late for your dinner, you knew about it. You know, she said your dinner's at five o'clock. You'd be here at five o'clock on the nose. Your supper as well. I got supper at ten o'clock, which was like sandwiches and milk and a cup of tea. And within four or five weeks of moving in with those. I was regular in City's first team again. And that was a difference because I was mentally happy. So, yeah, going over was difficult. Uh, difficulty settling, especially if you're not completely happy with where you are. But it just felt like when I moved there, it was more like home for me. And you need your own space too, don't you? I mean, if you're just if there's constantly things going on around you, mm-hmm. where do you go? Where do you retreat? Because you don't know anybody either. You're in a different country. And that's a really good point because everybody's different. You know, I, I, I like alone time. I can't do noise, you know, if the TVs, if there's two TVs on in the, one in the, one room and another in another room, I can't handle it, you know, I, I have to leave, I have to get out of the house. It's just one of those things that I can't do even two jobs at the same time. And if, you know, I get flustered quickly, you know, I can't do, as sad as it sounds, bills or none of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it just, for me, it... I just panic. I don't like doing things like that. So living with a lot of people for me was all. You're always under pressure to talk or be sociable. And if you wanted to go and get some alone time, you had to leave the house. You know, and that's which you don't idea. always want to do because it's meant to be your house. Well, you don't want to do that. No, yeah. you don't. Yeah, if I used to see myself going and getting on the bus and things like that, taking a bus journey. Now, even though you weren't alone, you were at least you were sitting with people you didn't have to speak to. Yeah, you know, yeah. they didn't do. want to speak to you either. You know, but that's. So it's very difficult. I don't know, not so maybe so much now. I used to look over at the... And I had a chance to go to Man United when I was the same age at Man United at Liverpool, Man City. Could have gone to Arsenal, could have gone to all of them at that age. I was very fortunate that way. But uh, I know that Man United would have looked after their boys. And this is not a slight against City, but it was just what they did. But Man United would have looked after their boys a lot better than we would have got looked after back then. No well, doubt about it. Looking back on it then, what made you choose Man City? Because it wasn't as if... You know, necessarily, they're not the Man City that they are now. No. I think that's fair to say. Mm. I think it was the fact that it was the first club I went to on trial when I was maybe thirteen, and uh, but loyalty maybe they 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 saw you first type thing, possibly. But I think also the fact that at the time I had new people there, you know, and like I say, Neely was there and Jerry was there, and you know, and and Stevie Lomas and he was coming down the line as well. He was a year after. I got there maybe a year and a half after I got there so it was it almost felt like a home from home and you were around the boys that you knew uh, and also from from a getting on point of view it was you were thinking you know what what are my chances going to be at Liverpool or what are my chances going to be at Man United it's better to you know go to a club where you've got more of a chance of getting into the team and, and progressing from there so there was that kind of a thought process as well now, with the benefit of hindsight, looking back now, if someone was to give me the same two choices, would I do the same thing? I'm not so sure. But uh, that's how it, it played out. Um, we're going to come on to how you ended up influencing Man United and titles in a wee yeah. second, but uh, <laughs> Colin enjoys this part of the story more than I do. I'm a Liverpool fan, then, should I? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always, it just it, it interests me now hearing that, you know, the, the scenario, the living scenario in, in England at Man City at that time and Stockport, it, it wasn't clicking for you. But then you, you go and take a, a few years in France. You're sort of thinking, mm. uh, what what convinced you that that was going to be okay when you know maybe Stockport wasn't? Uh, yeah, I, 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 again. Uh, you have to leave me alone in France. <laughs> no, and uh, funny, and 
it was something that it was funny enough because when I scored the goal against Germany that we've touched on Strasbourg, the representative of Strasbourg was apparently at that match you know Man City at the time had offered me a contract (laughs) it was a four year extension because my contract was up and and I wasn't happy with the terms so I'd said no I'm not signing it and uh, Peter Reid was a manager at the time and I knew they wanted to get another left winger in because uh, big Nell Quinn who was great with me when I when he, he more or less got me in the team there because he felt he wasn't getting enough service back then, so he wanted me in the team and crossing balls into him, which which at the start I, I was doing, you know, but then when you get a bit of confidence up, you sort of, you would take it down the wing and you'd beat a guy and then I'll beat him again and check back and then I'll beat him again and then cross it, but that wasn't what Peter Reid wanted. He was like, and to be fair to him, he's right. He wanted the ball in the box early, so I think by the time, you know, I think he was thinking, well, I've got my eye on somebody else. We'll offer him a contract, but you know, if we maybe would bring somebody else in. So I knew even if it signed that, I had a battle on my hands from from a from a place the following season. So went and played the game against Germany, scored a goal, and all of a sudden phone rings at Strasbourg. Would you like to come out and have a look at us in France? So it was like, well, okay, why not? I don't have anything to lose. I'm, you know, I'll go out and have a look. I went out there and. Obviously, not speaking any language, not being able to communicate with anybody. You were, you know, and the first day we went to training, I was sat in the car with three French lads, and and I was in the back seat, and there was one boy beside me, and there were two in the front, and they were just talking, chatting away in French, and it suited me because I didn't really want to speak, to be honest. So I was happy enough just to sit there. It bonds your lads. <laughs> was about it, yeah. And then we went, we went to training, and training was it was basically called trotting in France, which is basically jogging. And that's all we did for the first week, jogging. We went in the mornings and we jogged for three miles around the forest and then in the afternoon we went and jogged around the forest for three miles and I was thinking, what is going on here? This is supposed to be a football club. Well, I knew it was pre-season, but I, the pre-seasons we were used to was you were you were on your knees after 10 minutes gasping for, for, for air. These guys were doing it a completely different way and uh, it was it was boring, but the more you get into it, the more you realise there's a method to this. You know, it's not about running you into the ground these guys are, are working you in a completely different different way and that kind of got me hooked it was like wow this is different I've never done this before I want to get more of this and I stayed there for five weeks uh, and did the pre-season and then eventually they brought they brought the ball into you know you had players like Frank LaBeouf and Mark Keller and all those guys were there at that time you know there was good players at Strasbourg and I thought I was a good player you know I thought, you know, I'm a good player, you know, I'm technically pretty good and, you know, and that's what I thought. And when the balls came out, after the first training session, you could tell, what's this guy doing here? I was so far off it, technically, compared to what they were doing. It was just a laugh. And they didn't want me in the team. You know, you could tell, well, we have to have him now, you know, it's like the old playground one where you were last pick. And uh, they were doing one touch. We they would set up. They would set the the, the 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 teams up. It would be eight aside and in one half, two goals, two goalkeepers, and it was one touch. I'm thinking one touch. What's this all about? You know, when the ball was going boom, 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 and they were popping the ball about each other all over the place. It would come to me. I I would break down. You know, but I started to pick it up. Started to get up to the rhythm of it. Started to find my f- my feet. Now the one thing the manager did say then back then was. You're physically stronger, even though I'm a small person. He's saying you're physically stronger than these French guys, you know, because they weren't used to playing at the tempo that we had been playing at in England. They played at a much slower tempo, but when the time was right, it was slow, slow, bump fast. Yeah. You know, and that's basically at the start what they liked about me. They liked the physical side of me, the fact that I could get around the pitch, the fact that I was fit, the fact that I would put in tackles that were like. <gasps> You know, yeah. the French guys, still fair, but to them, they weren't used to seeing that physical side of it. So that's what got me through the first four or five weeks. But then the technical side started to come slowly, slowly, slowly. And the time I finished coming, came back, I was at least 30 to 40% better footballer for going out there. And I'm so glad I did it. Uh, it's uh, How's your French? It's great. Fluent. Fluent now. Yeah. Are you? Yes, yeah. We actually were in France here uh, seeing our, our middle boy. He's... He's eight, 18, he was out in Lyon on work experience there, so we went out to see him for a few days. I hadn't spoken French for maybe, well, at least three or four years, at least fluently. 
and it was a real struggle at the start, but it came back really, really quickly. And uh, see, because like, just just in case anyone's picking you up wrong, going, see, anti-social boy, just sat in the back, typical Northern Ireland, doesn't want to learn anything. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, initially you've the culture shock, but then you have to immerse yourself. You have to. There's no two ways about it. You know, if you don't learn the language, and it was, and you know what, even even that was ice breaking at times, because. The coach always used to, I wouldn't say pick on me, he didn't pick yeah. on me, you know, because don't forget, I was still young back then, I was the youngest in the team, I was 19, and after matches, if we'd lost, we used to come in on a, on a, on a, on a, on a Sunday morning, for they called it decrassage, which was a warm down, it was, not, it was nothing, it was 10 laps of the pitch, you jog around the pitch and you had a stretch and a massage or whatever, and then the manager would kind of talk through the, the football, and he always said, something to say to me and was one day <laughs> we'd get beat 2-0 I think we played Nant away or something like that there and he I didn't know what he was saying but apparently he says Michael unless you get better than what you are I'm putting you on the boat back to Northern <laughs> Ireland you know so this everyone was laughing and uproar at this so at times he would use you're like the, you said boat there what was that boat and, <laughs> and I like, obviously didn't know what he was boat, saying lads? but I, I knew he was saying something uh, derogatory I knew he was because everybody was laughing but it didn't bother me because, you know, you still felt accepted and part of it because they were wasn't having a joke at your expense, but they were they were using you to lighten a situation, if you like, mm-hmm. you know. And and at the same time, I didn't understand it. Then at the same time, he, the coach was giving me a bye ball, you know, because it took me a little while to settle. There's no, I have to say, the first year was almost a write off. The second season, I finished top scorer for Strasbourg, and uh, probably went from the fans thinking, "Who is this guy? Why have we signed him to?" Well, now we can sort of see why we signed him. So I was glad. I was glad when I left him. At least had seen the best of me. See, because I, I think on it, um, you know, people when I think if I stopped and said, right, Michael Hughes, what you know, five things you, th- you know or remember about Michael Hughes, or how do you sum up his career? People probably don't think Strasbourg, but I, I just from talking to you, I feel like it's a really formative part of who you were to become and what you were to achieve. For sure, and there, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it, Michael. And what I found quite bizarre was you know I, I I came from an era of what you might call culture in the English game and not the right kind of culture you know uh, probably living the wrong way and doing the wrong things but that's what you were that's what you grew up in so you don't know anything other than that and they, we used to call it bonding back then you know you went out and you had a few jars with the boys and that was your bonding session and that could have been after training, and sometimes it depends. Listen, if you were drinking six or seven pints of Guinness or something like that, there, you know, it was, you know, you could look at that and say, oh, that, you know, well, it, it wasn't the right way to do things. But at the same time, you know, you're, if you were drinking Guinness, it wasn't too bad because the advice back then was drink Guinness and eat steak sometimes to build yourself up. So you thought, well, at least I'm doing the right thing here. In France, it was a totally opposite. From day one when I got there, they were saying, what's your diet? What do you do? take blood tests, you're low on vitamin D, you're low on vitamin C. Next day, tablets were arrived. It was all about the machine that you are. You know, if your machine, your body isn't 100% tip, tip top shape and ready to go, you're no good to us. And you're actually letting yourself and your teammates down. So in terms of from a professional, it's going to sound bizarre to say this, going from almost a Premier League team in England to going to a Premier League team in France, the professional side of it was night and day. And I always found that coming back to the Northern Ireland set up you know it was always nice to get back and meet meet up with the guys and have a, a few a few pints and whatnot. but my diet had completely changed as well I, you know the whole diet thing it was over there it was a very strict diet which I'd bought into and and you know coming back you sort of have to change every every everything again and people are looking and saying why is he having just white rice or brown rice on its own with a breast of chicken and that's all I wanted to eat but it was like what's she, 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 she doing that for you know it was almost like a, you went from being accepted um, you're struggling to be accepted when you went to France by the French they almost starting to live their way of life to when you came home struggling to be accepted by the people back here for the things you were doing you know I always thought that was, that was always a struggle it was always always like a tug of war you know you couldn't do right for doing wrong sometimes but at yeah. the end of the day you just have to be strong and say well I'm only doing this for me you know, and I need to keep myself right because that's all that matters. I'm just picturing you arriving back, going, "Hi, boys!" with a, a, a posh bottle of plonk that you picked up, <laughs> and they're like, "No, come on, mate, that's, that's not going down here. <laughs> not here. Not here, no." <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't know about a. 
posh ball of plunk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, and and it was, uh, you know, it was almost you can talk about extremities, you know, but anything I've ever done in my life, I've always done it to the extreme. It was just, it's just my nature. I, I've always been extreme in what I do, and I can't help that, you know. And if I'm going to do something, it's like anything. And when I'm, I was out of football for a year at a at a dispute with Wimbledon and Birmingham and I didn't play football for a year but I ended up playing internet checkers or internet drafts on the internet for a year and becoming expert world elite almost at internet checkers would you believe because I was playing at 18 hours a day wow. every day I know that's not I shouldn't admit that you know that's not something you want to admit but it's just my nature I'm, I'm a very 100% boom 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 or I won't do it you know, I find it interesting there that you were saying when you went to France about having to learn the language over there. Did you teach any of the French players any Northern Irishisms? <laughs> <laughs> we're on in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah, that was probably to... yeah, that was within. Uh, you know, the big rugby. Pl- there were big rugby guys out there, French. You know, they loved their rugby, and uh, coming from Toulon and Toulouse and all those places, Pascal Bays, who uh, actually Pascal, you know, when he, he played for who did he play for? Was it Montpellier? And they played Man United at Old Trafford. He got sent off. He's a right back, Pascal, lovely, lovely fellow. But he was a big rugby player. But the the only two words he would say to me, like for a laugh, the second one was obviously off. <laughs> Every day, hello, Michael. Oh, and then he would say that to yeah. me. That was his way of greeting me. But yeah, I taught them a few a few words as well. That they liked. You know, it doesn't matter what age. Doesn't matter if you're if you're five or fifty. You always teach the swear words first. They're way more fun. I don't know why that is. Um, let's just conscious of time. Um, let's let's get a couple of big ones in there. Um, I don't know if Man United fans will ever forgive you for costing them a Premier League title. Um, when you scored that goal, did you know for West Ham? Did you know how significant it was, or were you just doing your job? No, and I didn't care. No Even as a Liverpool fan, you didn't partly go. No, I didn't Come care. On. I didn't care. I was playing for West Ham, and the ball came across. And to be honest, I didn't know much about it. Hit my footman in the back of the net. It's as simple as that. Anyone that tells you they try and put a ball in the corner or try and direct it from there's lying to you. They just try and put the foot in the ball. If it goes in, it goes in. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, and the reaction was, "Oh, he caused us the title." I'm saying, "Hold on a minute." It was 37 games of the season before this, so don't blame me for it. Look at your look at that team. That played and blame them for the 37 games before that, you know, nothing to do with me. So, I, I, I it's still, you know, and everywhere I, I go, they still go, Oh, you stopped winning it from the tail, you stopped winning it. Do you not take it as a compliment, Michael? Because I'm just I'm just picking up on that. Yeah, I, I can see how it'd be annoying that people keep going, You did this, but I, I think there's probably 19 teams in that league that are going, God, I love Michael Hughes because he did this. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, there's Man United fans are the ones that are going, Oh, here I go, but. You know, there's a lot of teams that are going, what a man. Yeah. And, you know, what? half the country here loved me and half the country hated me. I was playing for Northern Ireland, at Northern Ireland International, and I was going to bars for a drink and a bite to eat with my partner. And I had boys coming up to me and saying, get out of here. No way. Yes. Get out of this restaurant. Now, I don't know them from Adam, who they are, what they are, or what they're involved with. So... You're not going to sit there and feel uncomfortable. So you end up invariably saying, look, let's just head on out. Okay? So for me, if you score a goal against Man United or you score a goal against Liverpool and you have to put up with these boys coming up to you saying, oh, yeah, great, or get out of here. For me, that's just a farcical part of this game, you know, because it just doesn't make any sense. And I scored. The ball came across. Put it in there. Man United, Liverpool, Wimbledon. It doesn't matter, you know. That's just doing what I was paid to do. And if you don't like it, so what, you know. Yeah, you're probably glad that the the selfie culture wasn't as big then. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining you having a nice meal with Michael. Pull a funny face. <laughs> I know. Do you know, Michael? It just it just just aggravated me that yeah. you know people. Thought, think they can come up to you and say things like that there because of you doing your job, and I don't yeah. get that anymore. But I still get people coming up and saying, "Oh, you stop minding it from winning the title." And look, I tell you what, and we touched on it about Tommy Wright. If you're going to blame anybody, blame Ludo McCloskey, not me, because he made twenty saves that day that were just out of this world, and blame Andy Cole because he missed about twenty open nets. Don't blame me, you know. And that's what people don't seem to take into consideration. 
but anyway, I'm probably going off on one here for no, no, here, for I no like, reason. But uh, I, I, <laughs> I like it. Um, it's it's that calm it's that calm persona that uh, probably leads on to this next question. You and Robbie Savage just being best mates. <laughs> and you got those questions lined up for me to get me hot under the collar here, haven't you? Look, look at that wee giggle there. Uh, I just I just wonder looking back, and do you do you, do you go? Oh, that was unfortunate. Or do you kind of go? That was I. Are you fond? Do you like? Because sometimes. Like at no level I've made cynical files and sometimes I'm quite proud of them to be honest you know I don't know do you look at them and kind of go uh, on the day I probably did the right thing or do you no that one I completely and totally and utterly regret you know have you ever spoken to him since no no No. I didn't really speak to him anyway to be honest I don't (laughs) know him at all but uh, I there was an incident it's no excuse for what I what I did, but before that, he tried to throw a wee elbow out and hit me an elbow across the jaw. He'd say he didn't, but he did. He probably won't even remember it, to be perfectly honest with you, but uh, that got me hot under the collar, you know. Because if you're playing against a Roy Keane or you're playing against a, a Patrick Vieira, you know, they're hard men. They ain't going to do that. So if you if you put yourself up as a hard man, you know, do it the right way. Don't. So that just got me hot on the colour. I don't put myself up as a hard man either, by the way. I never did, and, and I, I was a competitor. That was it. But if someone says, come on outside and have a fight, I'd run 100 miles away. But I was a, I was a, a competitor, and I loved to compete, but in the right way. But that wasn't in the right way. Uh, you know. and that's an interesting one, because I think there's a great point you're making there as well about you know you, a competitive person on the pitch. People... Cause you, People just watch you on the TV and they decide that they know you. They form this whole impression of, right, oh, he's obviously a tough nut, or he's obviously mm. this, he's obviously that. And you're going, maybe you just commit it. I think there's some some of it's misunderstood. You know, I think people can be come misunderstood. And the, and the funny thing is now we it's, you know, we went and played or I went and played in a wee masters thing there. It was on it was on uh, TV about two months ago, yeah. and yeah. it was in Glasgow, and it was hooking up with all the older players that had played like I touched on Quinny there and all the old Rangers boys like Charlie Charlie Miller and people like that there you know people that I would have known back in the day not brilliantly well but people that you played against and you, you build a rapport and you have that kind of kind of thing with them and you know it was a hum it was a humbling kind of experience because you know everyone was just back to being normal Again, and you, you you could hold the conversation a lot easier because I think when you're in sport and you're in professional sport, and I don't think it's so much now because I think it's gone the other way. You can't tackle anymore. I don't know. So I'm not saying whether that's a good or a bad thing. And players pick each other up, and they seem to have more respect for each other. They seem to not be as maybe is it nasty? Is that the right word I'm looking for? Or as competitive, if you like, whatever you yeah, want to yeah, call it. Yeah. But back in our day, you had to win the battle before you could win the match. And it was almost like you had to have this persona that I'm stronger than you, I'm tougher than you. And you had to become something you weren't. Do you know what I mean? And so it was just nice at that point to go and see all these, these older players again and have a kick about with them. And nobody was interested if they won or lost. They were normal, just normal people. Those those personas, those egos weren't up anymore. And I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It was three days of getting to know people and them getting to know you away from that environment. And everyone was just talking about their stories. And you know, everyone was just you know, people were you know, going away from being a footballer to have a normal, normal, normal jobs if you like, but normal you know your nine to fives and and what not away from that and how their lives had changed. And it was just, it was just nice to do it. Yeah, you know? I can tell you enjoyed it. I, I just want to ask you about how things are going now, because obviously, um, uh, the last few years, people have known you've been involved with Carrick Rangers. What are you up to at the moment? What, what have you got in store? Uh, I'm not doing much at the minute. I went to the game last night and I uh, was doing a wee bit of corporate stuff around around the ground, which I liked. I wouldn't usually like that kind of stuff, but last night I liked it. Uh, I liked it. So I'm. I'm I'm looking to do a bit of coaching, Michael. I enjoy, I enjoy coaching, you know, and, and, you know, I've looked at doing different wee ventures along the way, but my brother's always gone to me and says, listen, you only know one thing and that's football, so stick to it and, and, and do it. Uh, now, whether it be here or in this in Northern Ireland or somewhere somewhere else, I, I don't know. I, I'm open to I'm open to any offers and speaking to anybody who might have something to, to put forward. But, you know, I, I listen, Carrick Rangers for me was at seven or eight, good years there 
I have to say, you know, and Carrick was 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 one of those I'd, I'd got I'd, I'd got into Carrick as a as a I thought well I'd go in there and and I was moving back to the country, so it was kind of I wouldn't say give me something to do, but it give me a, an interest and, and a reason to 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 be to be back here, and you know, I enjoy, I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed working with the people there, and you just Colin was talking about distillery there, and, and you know it's tough tough work being involved with an Irish league club. I mean, there's it's just and it's volunteer work, you know. Unless you've got a load of money to throw about you, and even then, you still have to rely on your volunteers. But I went into Carrick, and I saw there was the possibility to do some good stuff there. I played for Carrick when I was young, even being a Larn 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 guy. It didn't work out for me at Larn, unfortunately. I wanted to play for Larn. Don't get me wrong, but for some reason, I can't remember the name of the manager at the time. But he put head he's probably delighted you've forgotten his name. <laughs> his well, name. Let's just say uh, maybe I haven't. But anyway, <laughs> he uh, put in the paper. If Michael Hughes wants to play for Larne, he has to come and see me, which I was thinking at that time. Well, I'm a 15-year-old kid. <laughs> you know, usually you approach people you want to come and play for your team. Not yeah. twice, you know, it's not. I've never approached anybody. I usually want to feel welcome. So uh, I knew the physio at Carrick, who was the under-15 uh, Northern Ireland manager, and or physio, and he says, come on up and play for Carrick. And I did, and I just had affinity for the club. So it seemed when the opportunity, Davey Hilde spoke to me, said, would you like to come back and get involved with us? I thought, well... Well, why not? And it wasn't difficult. I didn't find it very difficult to take the club from where they were, which was like sort of towards the bottom of the league below up to the Premiership. The struggle was when you got there. Uh, and I had seven or eight good years there. You know me, you probably can tell by this interview, and you know me over the years. I'm quite a passionate fellow, and if I want something done, I want it done my way. Probably not politically minded at that stage to bring people with you. And... And I probably felt like with so many people like, during my time at Carrick Rangers and so many managers in my time at Carrick Rangers and, you know, done a lot of things that I don't, I'm not happy with and maybe treated people with less respect than I should have. And that's one of the regrets. But I, th- I think when you look back, you're there, you're putting your time in, you're putting your money in, you know, you expect things to be to be done a certain way. But you have, I didn't understand that things were done the way they're done coming from where I was and sometimes I was a bit impatient and you know so I, I do things a lot differently now. I've learned a lot over the last seven or eight years I've learned a lot about myself more yeah. than anything you know and become much calmer and, and, and I think a lot more kind of considerate of other people and I think coming from that environment which we touched on you, you have to be selfish and you're just me, 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 me you know when you're dealing with others you have to put that to the side but it's not an overnight process Michael, I, I could take another hour, but it wouldn't be fair on Collie, who's waiting in the wing. <laughs> but I just want to say, uh, you're, you're a very reflective person. You're, you're probably harder on yourself than you are on anybody else that you've you've maybe fallen out with along the way. But uh, I love your 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 absolute honesty about everything, um, and wish you all the very best. We're just so pleased that you could come in today and mm. and and talk to us about some of those goals, and hopefully some of the Northern Ireland players go. Yeah, we need Michael Hughes in for a pep talk. He scored against Germany twice. They won't we remember could do a bit me. Of that. They won't remember me, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get, we'll get Colin on the YouTube and we'll be sorted out from there. Uh, what a fantastic guest. Um, we're, we're slightly more than out of time. But uh, from Colin and myself, thanks so much again no, for coming on to the programme. Thanks for inviting me on. I enjoyed talking to you guys. Thank you. Uh, you can catch up with all this again, the score, uh, via our SoundCloud channel or just like us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be posting a link to listen back to this after the programme. All that remains to be said is enjoy your weekend of sports. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Score and I podcast with me, Michael Clark. We're back live with the whole show on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM on Friday from 1pm. Or you can subscribe to our podcast today to listen back to the first hour each week at your convenience. And in the meantime, keep in touch via our Facebook and Twitter feeds. We hope you can join us for the next episode.